welcome to episode 7 of the Free to Love podcast. We're calling this conversation, Going Backwards to Move Forward, Family of Origin and the Importance of Our Past. A crucial element of the healing journey is our family of origin. It seems as if people gravitate to polar opposite postures when it comes to families in the past. On the one hand, there are those that seek to scapegoat their families, blaming them for every wound and subsequent difficulty they may face. On the other hand are those that are very reluctant to place any responsibility on their families, seeking to downplay shortcomings or protect a cherished image, they struggle to name accurately some of the most powerful forces that shape our identities. We believe in a middle path, one that works to accurately investigate the unique personalities and events that have contributed for good or for harm to the person we are today. It is here we begin to understand who we are and why we relate to ourselves, others, and the world the way that we do. So in this week's conversation, we briefly outline the concept of attachment theory and why these twin ingredients of love and trustworthiness are so vital to healthy development. After exploring how love forms our identity and trust grounds our sense of safety, we move on to map the four primary ways that we respond to violations of these two areas. That we blame, shame, control, or escape. We then close our conversation distinguishing between big and little T traumas, the lasting cultural consequences of societal traumas such as war and disease, and reflecting on the paradoxical truth that if we say yes to the healing journey, it is often our very wounds that become the gifts that empower us to love and serve others and experience a deeply meaningful life. Friends, Episode 7 of the Free to Love Podcast. Well, Jennifer and Jeff, we're back. And it's good to be with you guys after uh, a little break since we've got to sit down and have another conversation in this podcast series. And I'm excited about today's talk topic. I feel like I say that every week, but I genuinely <laughs> am excited every week that we get to record to sit down um, and talk with you guys. I, I always walk away encouraged and having learned something. You guys are both just deep wells and dear friends. So as this, are you, Joseph? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I swear I wasn't fishing for a compliment there, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, so, so last episode, we started unpacking this idea of emotional intelligence, uh, emotional self-awareness, emotional quotient. It's got a number of different names. And uh, so we, we unpacked what that concept was and how to begin to be aware of that in yourself to cultivate it and the importance of that to fostering healthy relationships and a healthy sense of identity. Um, today, our topic is family of origin. So we're going to take a dive deeper than the con concept of emotional self-awareness or emotional intelligence and begin to try and understand and unpack what shapes and forms that. And mm. in order to do that, we have to go to our family of origin. Mm. Mm. Um, and <laughs> you know, it's interesting to kind of bridge those two. Uh, so last night I was, uh, Daryl and I have recently got to start facilitating a new cohort, cohort of men in the, um, men's skills, 
uh, workshop. And last week we covered emotional intelligence and we asked them this question. Daryl did. He, he asked them to think back to their early childhood and to describe briefly for us um, what their environment looked like. You know, um, how do they remember their, their mom and their dad? And um, there, are there any major things that stand out? And particularly to ask the question of what role did emotions play in your family? Um, what might you have learned? Did you, was it a, a place where emotions were okay? Did you ta- mm-hmm. ever, did you ever explicitly talk about them with your parents? Um, and if not, what happened? And man, it was, it was heartbreaking because not a single man in the room remembered a place where emotions were something that were talked about in healthy ways or affirmed in them. Mm. And wow. yeah, and I, I think, I don't think that they're exceptions. I think they're probably closer to the rule. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. And so we started to unpack that a little bit and man, yeah, what, what was in these families of origin? Well, I mean, there's infidelity, there's addiction, there was massive trauma, right? There's, there was death, there was estrangement, there was abandonment, there was, man, there's mental illness, addiction, yeah. all, all the things, the awful things that malform us were mm-hmm. present in their stories. So I think today, um, I, I bring up that story because it is, it highlights the importance of this issue. Yeah. And earlier you said too, that when, at the beginning of class, if you would have asked them, how well do you understand emotions and your emotional response and, mm-hmm. and how you feel, they all were like, ah, pretty well. Yeah. A number of them, I mean, a, a number of them were, uh, were bold and felt like, Hey, I've got a pretty good sense of, you know, my emotional awareness and intelligence and, uh, capacity to empathize, you know, not sympathize, but empathize with, with another person. And then as we worked through the material last week, the end of session, uh, everybody was kind of like, wow, uh, maybe I, maybe I didn't understand emotional intelligence or emotional well-being as well as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all have room to grow. And I think that's the power of why it might be helpful to even have a, a session on family of origin or something like that. Cause I know a lot of people don't like to look backwards. They don't, they're like, that was in the past. The past is in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. Why does that affect my today? Mm-hmm. And the reality is like you just said, Joseph, it does affect our today. It affects how we're responding to yeah. our present world and in our present relationships because of our understanding of how these things were formed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love that illustration, um, the real world example right there, Joseph. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I love that you're in community and, and have a group. Mm-hmm. It's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, Joseph. Yeah. I'm wondering um, what is the aha that these men are encountering or experiencing when you ask them that question and they come to this moment that they are disconnected from their emotions. What do you think that creates within these men or creates, you know, when we do skills classes, what is that stimulating within the heart of, of a person? It's mm, a good question. I don't know if I have a, a complete answer to that, but the first thing that comes to mind, and, and I know this is true of my own story is that uh, they discover that they, prob- they, they probably had a distorted perception of their family in some capacity, and now as adults. And like you mentioned, Jen, oftentimes people want to downplay or to disassociate mm-hmm. from their family of origin. And, you know, especially when there's been deep wounding and pain to, to try and basically say, well, that didn't affect me. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, because I just, you know, I shut it off and now I'm, I'm fine. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I moved away from home. Totally. It, it's gone now. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so one of the biggest epiphanies as we invite them to explore their stories is to one, for people who grew up in a fairly healthy environment to discover, well, there are, there's still stuff. It doesn't matter. There are no perfect families, right? Um, there may not be capital T trauma in your family of origin, but there surely was lowercase T and we'll unpack that a little bit more. So seeing the lights go off that, Hey, there is this deep connection between what happened in my family and what is happening in my family. Uh, and, my present pain and struggles in relationship and how I, I deal with intimacy or conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just going to take us right to first Corinthians mm. chapter 13 verses 11 through 13 and use that as our, um, a place where we are reminded how God meets us right there. Um, first Corinthians 13 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And I know these three, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Wow. You know, when I, that passage reminds me of my own journey of transformation, the journey of coming out of a place of pain and stuckness in my own life to a place of maturation and growth and a discover and insight into who I am in Jesus. And I think I love that because Paul is really giving us um, the 30,000 foot picture of the universal intent and the passion of God to grow us up into the image of his son, to become more like Jesus. Mm. And I, I apply that personally to my life because the question that, that God asked me, uh, let's see, this was 20, 28 years ago. I was like the third year of marriage and Rob and I were stuck in our marriage and and uh, we were just not in a good place. And, and I just was discouraged and kind of just just kind of a place of despair and because I wasn't loving Robin like she needed to be loved. Mm. And so I remember taking a walk. We're up in Park City and we're visiting some friends and we just were in a dark place. And I remember taking a walk and just asking God, God, I don't know what to do. Uh, I just feel stuck. And and I had this this God encounter, and in my mind, the question came, and it wasn't audible, but it was very clear. It was from the Spirit. Hmm. And he said, how old are you, Jeff? Hmm. Wow. And then the question came again, how old are you, Jeff? Of course, chronologically, I was 40 years old, but this the number that resonated loud and clear in my head was 12. Hmm. <laughs> Hmm, gosh. And so the Lord, he took me back to what happened when I was 12 years old in my family of origin, when I encountered, when I encountered what I would call a small T trauma, when I was prematurely exposed to inappropriate material. Mm. And as I reflect back at that moment, what was going on in my family of origin? Well, my parents were always fighting. Um, 
they weren't sleeping in the same room. And I can recall there are times listening to my parents argue and fight in the kitchen. And I had three sisters and my two of my sisters were younger. And I remember watching my little sister who was sitting in the hallway shaking as we're listening to my mom mm, and dad wow. fight. So that question that God supernaturally asked me was the beginning of my journey of discovering my story, of my family of origin story. Because at that point, my wife, Robin, and you know Robin, is that she was training to be a marriage family therapist, and she wanted us to go to counseling. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know what? You go to counseling. <laughs> mm-hmm. this, this is something, if you need to go to counseling, you can go to counseling. I don't need to go to counseling because all I need is Jesus. Mm. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh goodness. Yeah. I just you just need to actually read the Bible more. Mm-hmm. We need to pray harder. <laughs> that moment, it was an aha, eye-opening experience that God began to take the blinders off my eyes and to begin to reveal to me that I needed to begin a journey of my own self-discovery of my pain. Mm. So that was a turning point for me of going from a place of arrested development. At 40 years old, Mm. I was acting as though I would emotionally and psychologically, I was reacting out of my pain at 40 years old in my marriage, the same way that I acted when I experienced that trauma when I was 12 years old. So the coping mechanisms... Mm-hmm. That I was behaving of pulling away, shutting down, getting defensive, defensive with mm-hmm. Robin, had their origin in my family. Yep. Yep. That's it right there, Jeff. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That is, I feel like that's such a good mm-hmm. illustration of the power of this. Because mm. yes, we need Jesus. Yes, we want to read our Bible more. Yes, we want to pray. But God is saying, you're not... You don't live a compartmentalized life that's right. that once you turn the page into a new stage of life, you just forget everything that's come before. Our bodies internalize it. Our minds internalize it. Our emotional memory internalizes yeah. it. We are a work of art that is being cultivated from the very beginning of our first breath. And so it matters what has come before. And the way you're living right now might be because of what happened to you earlier. Yeah. And so there is power in looking backwards and letting the Lord take you there, mm-hmm. letting God take you on that journey of exploration. You're not going back there alone. Mm. You're going back there with him so that he can show you That's how right. maybe as a child, yes. we learned things and internalized things, perceived things, because mm-hmm. that's part of it too, right? Yes. Sometimes as a child, we didn't understand what was happening. That's right. And sometimes I think as adults now, we look back and we say, there was nothing wrong. Everything, everything makes sense to me now as an adult, but as a child, it may not have made sense. And as a child, we internalized hard things. We internalized negative things. Mm-hmm. We internalized things that made us um, put some things inside of us, some mm-hmm. maybe core beliefs about ourselves or the world around us that then after all these years, we find ourselves right now in the present living out of these beliefs that we internalized long ago and these coping mechanisms that we are operating out of um, now. And that's the power I think of looking backwards is our present is deeply affected Mm -hmm. by our past. Yeah. 
Well, the reality is we can't go forward until we go backwards. Mm. And, we, you know, I, I think it's our tendency in our pain is we live in a vacuum in the moment. And so we have a propensity that our pain and the conflict that we're dealing with at the moment is caused by the relationships, that current relationship, whether it be our marriage, whether it be our kids, whether it be maybe uh, someone in authority figure that we're, so we have a propensity to get stuck in the moment and not realizing that how often are we actually living, living our past mm. in the present? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're really resurrecting our past, bringing it into the moment and not recognizing that we're really not living in the present. We're still living in the past. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we're bringing the old script, mm-hmm. that old narrative of our past pain that we've never redeemed, we've never dealt with. And we're living out of that in the moment in our marriages, yeah. in our workplace environment. And But we're, we're blinded to that reality. Mm. Well, so we should unpack a little bit of like um, some of that how the past, how our family of origin, the environment we grew up in might be, um, how we might've internalized it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, there's a lot, a lot of great stuff that you guys just shared. Um, and I've got a question that I think we can, we can circle back to. Um, but one of the things that immediately comes to mind is, uh, is attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is a, you know, an aspect of the psychological, literature and discipline that's, I mean, at this point, it's probably 40 years old, I think, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I, I'm blanking on the gal's name who was one of the pioneers, but essentially, right, it's investigating that first couple years of life. And the thesis is that the um, the infant develops this a particular type of attachment, which is going to mark the way that they relate to people throughout the rest of their life. And that's contingent upon um, a couple of different factors. And we'll talk about them later, the the pillars of love and safety. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that the relationship with that primary caregiver is going to be the thing that's going to shape whether or not you've got a secure attachment um, or whether or not you've got an anxious Mm -hmm. attachment style or an avoidant attachment style. And that's something that impacts not just your most intimate relationship, like your marriage, but all of your relationships. And um, I mean, there's a, a host of literature on the topic. So if this interests you, then um, you can contact Jen and she's got a lot of great resources she can point you in. <laughs> the expert. Um, yeah, the expert. Uh, but I think the, you know, I bring it up not just because it's an interesting psychological theory, but one, it, it has, it it's something that really does undergird and interact well or complement well the restoration therapy and exactly what you're talking about. Um, in part because it's when we ask people to do story work and to investigate their family of origin, typically like you, Jeff, you mentioned, uh, man, I was emotionally, I was 12. For me, it was nine, mm-hmm. right? Like I realized a couple years into my healing journey, realized, man, I collapsed pretty much most everything in my childhood into when I was nine, like nine was a Nine was an amazing year, apparently. Amazing and hard, you know? Um, so I, I don't know what your number was, was Jen. Oh, I'd have to... I gotta do... be a number of numbers. <laughs> yeah. But um, attachment theory is important for us to at least just touch on because it's something that happens before you're really remembering stuff, right? right? It's when you're an infant, when you're totally vulnerable and dependent. 
And if you do not have consistent care um, and your, your, your parents are loving you unconditionally and creating a, an environment of safety and of love, then that's going to impact you. And realizing that, accepting that as, as a true theory, uh, it, for me, it helped me to begin to understand other people um, to be able to give them grace and for me to receive grace myself. Mm-hmm. So that's just a little aside on attachment theory. Mm-hmm. But yeah. but in a nutshell, if they're not familiar with that, we're talking for an example, we're just talking about if you're, if as a child, your caregiver reliably showed up for you, you didn't, you felt like your needs were met when you needed something, somebody mm-hmm. was there when you were sad, somebody was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you were allowed to feel, you knew that they were going to come back at the end of the day. Um, if you had those things, reliability, consistency, um, affection, mm-hmm. touch, yeah. like there's power in touch being held. If you had those things, then you kind of grow up going, okay, people are going to be there for me and, and people are okay and I am safe. Okay. That's just a quick example. So if you didn't have some of that, maybe there was no affection or it felt very cold in your home, but you had food every day, you might feel like, well, I have the basics, but I don't, there's no warmth and you, and you grow up feeling a little detached from people around you. There's like that avoidant, Mm -hmm. like I don't lean on other people when I have needs, I keep to myself. That would be an avoidant kind of style. If you felt, um, ashamed all the time of when you did need something or you, mm-hmm. um, nobody ever responded to you or people smothered you with too much stuff. You never had to pick up a spoon in your life or there's like, um, different things like that. Then, then it affects how you internalized that where it's maybe, um, I can't really be myself mm-hmm. because anxious, yeah. Anxious or needy. That mm-hmm. would be another word for, to describe that where I have to, um, be louder or be, um, scream louder to get my needs met, to get attention. Um, though that's how that very, very early, early childhood formative attachment, um, bonding with caregivers can affect how we, um, act out in relationships the rest of our life. That's what Joseph, I think yeah. is kind of touching Beautifully on. put. And I think what the word that jumps out to me, Jen is internalizing, mm. So we, what do we do? What do we do when there's been the absence of of love? Yeah. When there's the absence of affection or admiration, mm-hmm. what do we do with that? Or there's the absence of safety and security. Yeah. So the word internalizing is something that's below the conscious mind, and I think you alluded to this, Joseph, is that the development of our attachment style, which really becomes the DNA of, of really the DNA of our anatomy is birth one and a half years and younger. I mean, so you're, you're not even conscious of it. It's how we've learned to learn how to survive. Instinctually. Uh, Instinctually. (laughs) So we're not even aware of it. And I think for me is just sharing with you my story of the aha moment when God asked me how old I was, is reflecting on how I was coping back then in the attachment style, is that I remember that I had to learn how to withdraw and protect myself Mm. uh, because I didn't have the capacity, I didn't have the tools to deal with uh, a family where there was, it was loud and argumentative Mm. and it wasn't safe emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I learned at an early age just to keep my mouth shut, to withdraw, to protect myself. So there's 
So there's my 12-year-old self yeah. out, of, out of that pain to withdraw and protect myself. So what happened when Rob and I would get in a fight? I would withdraw. I would pull away. I would disconnect. And that's, we now know that's an, that's an avoiding attachment style. Yeah. So even if, okay, so you might, so a lot of that bonding and internalizing happens when you're super, super young and we don't really have memories of that. But as you go, as you're a child, you are still experiencing environments. You experience them mm-hmm. in your home with the primary people, siblings, parents, grandparents, whoever's in your home. Um, frequently, that you also experience at school, um, the town feeling that you grew up in, all of that kind of counts. When we're talking about family of origin, we're talking about those Mm -hmm. childhood um, primary experiences, Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes you had like really... um, We're not not sitting here bashing families. We want you to know that. Mm -hmm. Families, God is... Oh, God calls parents to be parents and gives them the gift of children and um, and for better or for worse, sometimes some parents rise to the occasion, some parents do not. And we are fallen people. Parents are fallen people. None of us grew up perfectly. No parent, those of us that are out there that are our parents, we know that we are failing. We know that we're not doing this well. And it's not our, uh, quite often, it's not our intention to wound mm-hmm. our children. Mm-hmm. Um and it breaks our heart that we're we're doing that. Um, other times, there are tragic situations where parents really do, um, you know, just fall into sin a lot, and they they do a lot of damage. And we're not sitting here wanting you to look back on your past and bash everything. That's not the point of this. The mm-hmm. point of this is to become aware of what the environment was. And there is going to be good things, wonderful things, redemptive things, but there's also going to be hard things and things that wounded us. Mm-hmm. And quite often, um, cause I always thought, well, I grew up in a very loving home. My parents are still married. I have siblings and it was quite, um, Oh, that was, it was good, right? No, I don't have anything to complain mm-hmm. about. Who am I to say anything? But the reality is, was not, when I give myself enough permission that it's okay to look back at my childhood with open eyes and open heart, arms and heart, acknowledging the good, and but I'm able to see, oh, you know, as a child, I didn't always understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why my dad had to move. I understood a little bit cognitively. He had to move when I was a child to go start um, a new business venture um, to start. The company moved him to to launch part of the thing for like a year. We didn't think it was going to be that long. Mm. We thought we're just going to sell the house and we'll go join him. But guess what? The market was crappy at that time. And so it took us forever to sell our house in the little town that we were in. And so it turns out I was without my dad with for a year, mm, not wow. really understanding it, and yeah. we know where he is cognitively, yeah. but mm-hmm. as a child, um, that internalized certain sure. things, um, and uh, so a lot of these ways we experience our past is how we perceive our That's past. Right. Yeah. So it may not even be actually mm-hmm. what happened. We just perceived it. Right. We perceive That's that right. the world is unsafe. Mm-hmm. That we perceive that the world is not predictable. Um, and so therefore we internalize it the same way as if it really were unsafe mm-hmm. and unpredictable. Yeah. Um, so now we don't know that we can trust the things around us because as a child, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that helps a little bit there. That's... Yeah, I've. It, I think it does help. I've got a question for us that I'd be curious to know your guys' response to. Um, 
all three of us have, have been privileged enough to like to investigate our stories. We've mm-hmm. had access to, you know, to therapy, um, or we've been able to study this field in some capacity. Uh, we've been a, a part of healthy churches or communities that have aided us in, in doing this. Um, so now each of us can talk about our childhoods. Remember memories mm-hmm. like what you guys have both shared, right? I've got my own versions of that as well. But what happens, like, what about all the people who can't remember stuff? I mean, I know that was that was me for a while. I Like I mentioned, I collapsed everything into nine. And I really couldn't remember. When I was first asked this, uh, you know, like, hey, let's investigate your family of origin. It was really kind of overwhelming to me because I was drawing blanks. I was like, man, I can't really remember. Mm. Like, I know I, I had a wonderful memory or upbringing. I, I also had a very loving home. And I'm sure I know it was great, but I can't really remember that much. And I having and the few memories that I do have, I have a really hard time placing what age that happened in. Mm-hmm. So, is that something that you guys we see often in the work that we're doing here? Is it should people be? Uh, how can you investigate? Maybe alarmed by that? Or yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do think Jeffrey about to say something to that. Uh, so that's a, that's a huge question, um, mm-hmm. and that's a big question. I, I'm so glad you asked it because I think the issue isn't the the issues when we begin to unpack our story um, is understanding the reason why we want to examine and to slow down and begin to ask these questions about our life, our history uh, is is for redemption. Is for what does God want to do? What does God want to do um, through the process and the journey of unpacking our story? And I think one of the things I realized uh, in my own journey of sitting in a counseling session or being in a confidential small group with, a, with men or even with couples is what I have found it's very difficult for us to sit, to be able to be still and to slow down and to be able to sit to sit in the craziness of our minds and of our hearts. That's why we are living in a culture that is addicted to busyness. Hmm. And that's why we've made actually success. One of we define success as how busy you are. And to me, that's the antithesis of true spirituality is being able to put ourselves in a position where we can sit and be still and ask ask ourselves and ask each other questions like what's going on inside of you right now. So, so beginning, beginning the process of being able to sit and self-examine your heart and your mind and asking questions like, what are you feeling? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling angry? What are those getting in touch as we talked about last week about the emotional awareness is starting from that reference point, we can trust the Holy Spirit to then lead us to the origin of our anxieties. We can trust the process that God will begin to help us to unpack possibly at times, what is the origin of our anger? Where have we experienced anger growing up? Where have we experienced a sense of deep fear or dread mm-hmm. growing up? And it may not be necessarily that we have, we've actually identified the moment, but it begins to help us to learn to take responsibility for those unwanted thoughts and emotions that are impairing and hindering our ability to love one another. So we can trust the Holy Spirit 
to to lead us to to the origin of the of the pain if he can lead us there so th- that's the difference between psych that's the difference of being psychoanalytical mm-hmm. as opposed to just being able to create an environment of safety where we can begin to unpack people's story mm. yeah i like how you said that there jeff cuz i think cuz god's in the business of healing us and redeeming what we've been through and um, redeeming old wounds and old, old lies. So some of those things that we internalized um, are, are unhealthy thoughts or unhealthy. They're not true, but we internalize them because that's how we perceived it as a kid. Maybe um, I don't, I'm not receiving this love because, and we internalize this false belief that, I'm not worthy of love mm-hmm. or I'm not, I don't have enough value. I don't matter. So let's just say as a kid, because of the way your environment was, you were left with this idea that people leave me all the time. There must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore something's wrong with me. Therefore I, I must be, I don't have any worth or value. Mm-hmm. So now here you are as an adult with this false core internalized belief, deep, deep down, way deep down. You probably don't wake up in the morning and think it, thinking it, but it's in there of this, I don't really matter. And so we act out of that place. Mm -hmm. And this is the theory here. This is how this is working. Mm -hmm. So we're acting out of that place currently. So God's saying, I don't want you to continue to believe that one day longer. I want to meet you right there in that false belief that you don't matter because the truth is you really, really do. Mm -hmm. And part of the way God often heals that is, is we go, where did that even come from? Where did that thought, where did you first start believing that you don't matter? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes God will just escort us back to our past. So to your question, Joseph, if you don't remember your past, you don't remember very many things about your childhood, that's okay. Because I think sometimes in doing this, God will show you the things that you do need to remember. Yeah. So you don't need to remember 90% of it sometimes. You just, God will take you to those highlight moments um, where he goes, this this little nugget right here. Do you Mm -hmm. remember this moment where you internalized this? false belief that you don't matter because mm-hmm. your dad worked so often and he wasn't home. Yeah. Is that really true? Mm-hmm. And you go, Oh my gosh, as a kid, I interpreted that to mean that my didn't matter to my dad. Mm-hmm. And I've grown up thinking I don't matter because of that little instance. Mm-hmm. But the reality is now I can see through God's redemption, my adult eyes, my growth, the wisdom, I can go, Oh my gosh, my dad loved me so much. He was sacrificing all these things. And here mm-hmm. as a kid, I misinterpreted all that. Well, now God is allowing me to rewrite that script in my mind where now I can see and receive the love and the affection that really was there mm-hmm. and rewrite that lie, unpluck that lie that the enemy wants me to hold on to. I get to uproot that lie that I don't matter. And I go, wow, I really sacrificially yeah. matter. Mm. And I, this is, thanks for sharing that. Um, did part of your story. The reality is this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And one of the core desires of God's spirit is to bring into light those areas of darkness where we, we are, yeah. there's places in our, in our spirit, our heart that we're living we're blinded to our darkness. We're blinded to our, our our past pain, and the beautiful thing about what we've all, what I've discovered, I think we've all discovered in the ministry as we've sat with people, as we prayed for people, as we've met with them in small groups, 
is the work of the Holy Spirit of bringing people who are stuck in their subconscious and bringing the subconscious into the consciousness. They begin to identify and have these, these aha moments of empowering themselves and discovering why they're behaving in a way now in their marriage and their relationships that it's, it's not working, uh, that they're coming into these small groups and skills classes because their marriages are failing, because they're stuck in their relationships. Mm. And how the Holy Spirit creating an environment of safety brings the conscious to the subconscious mind. And then they now they can empower themselves when they know the truth, they can be responsible rather than blaming mom and dad, blaming the past. They can now take responsibility, as you said, and begin to process the truth opposed to what they thought was a lie. I'd like for us to talk a little bit drill down a little bit more on this idea of uh, violations of love and trustworthiness. We mentioned that previously, that those are kind of those two things, these two pillars of love and trustworthiness uh, are the essential ingredients for a healthy, loving, safe environment for a child to grow up in, which molds their attachment style. um, And the wounds that we experience, whether they're capital T or lowercase t, are, I mean, really... It's, it's not super complicated. Whatever you've experienced, you can boil it down to either a violation of love or a violation of trust. Mm-hmm. And so can one of you guys unpack that a little bit? And and why is that important for us to understand? And then also, um, what? how do we begin to act out of those different violations? Sure. Do we unpack the... So the love, the way we are loved, why that's so significant is because the way we are loved forms our identity. It tells us who we are. So if we are loved unconditionally, it tells us that flawed or not mistakes or not, we have value. We have worth. If we are loved in a way that shows we are unique and special, there's no one else in the world like Jeff Ranke. There's no one else in the world like Joseph. That tells us who we are. If you're loved, um, in that way, if you're loved in a way that says, I like you, I like your company. You are, I just like being around you. Companionship. Um, it, it gives you a sense of belonging. So you know that I'm not alone in this world. I belong to others and others belong to me. I'm part of something. It form, So love, the way we're loved, forms our identity. So if you have a violation in one of those areas, you're not loved in that way. In that way, it can impact the way you view yourself mm-hmm. and the way you view yourself in relationship with others. Mm-hmm. The other side of that, the other pillar there, trustworthiness. Um, trustworthiness informs us of how we operate in the world around us. Can I trust the world around me? Is the world around me reliable? Am I safe in this world? Now, I use that word safe because that's one of those technical words that you're going to see if you're taking the class, you're going to see it on the worksheets and stuff. But we don't usually walk around going, am I safe? But you do kind of have a sense of, I need to be guarded Mm. or I can't really, I don't really feel good to be vulnerable in this situation. Those are all what we would call issues of safety. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I sit on this chair? Will it hold me up? That's an issue of trust. Can I trust the chair that I'm sitting on? Can I trust the world around me? Can I trust the environment that I'm in? Um, Things that help us form trustworthiness with our environment? Is it being predictable and reliable? Is it being balanced and fair? Um, Other things that form trustworthiness is, 
openness and honesty. So when there's violations in those areas, it violates our trustworthiness and our understanding of our environment and how safe we are. Mm. So it's not just environment. We say environment meaning physical world as well as relationships, others, other Mm -hmm. people. So there's that piece. So if there's violations there, that's why um, we can get some unhealthy thoughts that just anchor into us. Mm. Um, And we've been calling those kind of false core beliefs, but that's where that can come from. Jeff, how do we, um, Jen, thanks. That was a great breakdown of those two ideas. Uh, How do people typically respond to these type of violations? I know we've mentioned one of the ultimate fruits of experiencing violations of love or trust is that we internalize false core beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there, talk to me about the way that people <laughs> respond. Totally. Yeah. Uh, which actually the next chapter, we're going to really unpack this uh, further, but um, what is, what the question that I, when I'm going to rephrase it is what does our body instinctively do when we experience pain? Um, and the interesting is, is the, the way the brain operates is the, the area of the brain that, that, um, that processes pain, it doesn't distinguish between physical pain or emotional pain. It's all pain. Mm. So our, the natural survival instinct for, hum, for our humanness is when we experience pain, we're naturally going to go to a place of self-protection and self-preservation. So what does that look like? According to this model, um, there are four different ways that we cope. Is when there's been the violation of love, whether we feel in love, we feel devalued, we feel defective, we, we feel I don't measure up, then we're naturally, instinctively, it bypasses our logical brain. And this is something that we talked about before is this is developed at one years old, two years old, three years old. We're already beginning... We're already beginning to develop these attachments, these coping mechanisms. And so when we experience the lack of love, then we're going to immediately go to blame, it's your fault, or shame, it's my fault. And this really has, this really is proven, it's, it's, um, we see this biblically in Genesis chapter 3. It's beautiful. This is what Adam and Eve did mm-hmm. when when they rebelled against God. So when there's a lack of love, our, we're going to instinctively, some of us are going to go to protest. Mm. You know, I can't believe this happened to me. This isn't fair. This is an injustice. Why did you do this to me? Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to anger and blame and criticism and judgmentalism. And I know we don't see much of that in the world today, but <laughs> anyway, sarcasm is another one. Yep. <laughs> so we yeah. go to that place of blame. And so it's a way of disconnecting from our pain to be able to push it onto other people. That's mm-hmm. right. Uh, the, but the other way that we deal with that when there's been the lack of, of love in our sense of identity is that we're going to not push it away and externalize it. We're going to internalize it and we're going to put it on ourselves and say, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. I don't deserve to be loved. There's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I'm ashamed of myself. What's wrong with me? So we go to a place of defectiveness mm-hmm. and, and well, that can look like self-pity. Uh, that can lead into depression. So those are instinctive uh, coping mechanisms when it comes to love. On the, on the flip side of it, as Jen was talking about, when there's a lack of safety or feeling that there's been a broken trust, then our instinctive 
tendency is to react by control. Control is, I'm going to make sure this never happens again. I'm going to control you. I'm going to control my environment. I'm going to control me. I'm going to do, because things are out of control. I feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. I, there's, and that can lead to anxiety and fear. So I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. So that is a natural instinct that we see when things are chaotic and out of control. And then the fourth way that we cope with uh, the um, a coping mechanism, when it particularly has to do with lack of safety is that we're going to just escape. Mm. We're going to run away and hide. We're going to find something to escape into in order to numb out the deep pain of feeling violated. Yep. Mm. So that's where all addiction, all addiction comes. And there's soft addictions and there's big time addictions, you know, Mm -hmm. pornography, there's food, there's gambling, there's sports, there's uh, busyness. It's amazing how we can be so sophisticated in our ways of escaping Mm -hmm. that even we can make them look like virtuous. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same with control. I think we can make control look virtuous too. Yeah. We're just being responsible. That's right. (laughs) Responsible, (laughs) hyperproductive. Yeah. Yeah. But I think um, that's where, that's where God wants to heal. Mm-hmm. God does not want us to be sitting there living in these copings. He doesn't want us to be sitting there living out of these false beliefs uh, about love and trustworthiness, about who we are and about the world around us. Um, yes, we are living in a fallen world. And yes, our world is not always trustworthy. People mm-hmm. are not always trustworthy. People are flawed and sinful and broken too. Um, and we are not loved in all these ways, but we'd have a redeemer and a savior mm-hmm. who does love yeah. us fully, who has declared I, our identity over us as chosen, as worth dying for, as deeply, beautifully created, wonderfully made. And so whether we were loved like this or not, he wants to dis- declare this reality of our identity over yeah. us mm-hmm. and let us live out of that place. Yeah. And he declares over us, you're in my hands. Mm-hmm. So I know you don't live in a safe world. I know big T traumas happen to you. Little T traumas happen to you. You grew up in all sorts of different ways. You're currently living in all sorts of different ways that don't always feel good. It is an unstable world, but you are in the palm of my hand yeah. and I am trustworthy and true mm-hmm. and I am good and you can lean on me And so he wants us to live out of that place in the palm of his hand. So even in an unstable world, we are stable in him. And so this is his redemption. This is his heart for us is that we can um, shed the old self, shed the old scripts. Um, We don't have to live out of the coping that Jeff just described. We get to live out of these truths because when you know that you are loved like this, you know that you're really safe in his hands. We don't have to blame or shame or try and control or escape. We can be fully engaged Mm -hmm. and present. We can build relationships with each other and others. We can live with this, gosh, this peacefulness within us where we're not hustling for affection, where Mm -hmm. it just changes our whole countenance when we live out of the truth, Mm -hmm. out of his redemption. It changes. We We don't live in the coping. And that right there transforms us. It transforms our marriages, transforms how we parent, how we coach, how we work, how we live. Um, I think that's the abundant life. Yeah. 
that that Jesus has said he has come to give us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I love what I just love your explanation, what I would describe as the grace of God. I mean, you just really identified that we're living in this dispensation of time on this planet of the dispensation of grace, that God's grace, God's grace is always, is always with us and is always working in us. And, and getting back to our coping mechanisms is that why is God so gracious? Because he understands that early on in our life, when we experience the absence of love or, or safety, when we were sinned against, when we we're in pain, is that we didn't, we couldn't help ourselves to, but to self-protect. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, it wasn't our fault. And so God looks upon us and understands a lot of the ways that we cope, even as adults, had their origin in early on in our life when we didn't have the tools, we didn't have mm. the capability of walking through our pain. And so that's where God's grace comes in, is in our brokenness and our pain and our darkness. God is always there. He's always pursuing us and He meets us in those places where, where there has been pain or those moments where we live in the dark night of the soul in our confusion that God is always there with us. He's so compassionate. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, as you were speaking, I just thought, this is why he says, let the little children come to me. Mm-hmm. I think there's that little mm-hmm. part inside of each one of us, that child, wherever you might be stuck, whatever age you really are sometimes when we're acting in our pain. Um, I think he's saying right there, you don't have to hide from me and feel ashamed that you are stuck in that place, stuck in that age. Let the little children come to me. I want to heal you. I want to meet you right there and heal you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thinking of it that way, it immediately brings to mind the story of Zacchaeus, right? That interaction between him and Christ where he's instructed, you know, that he needs to be born again. And oh, he's, Nicodemus. Oh, sorry, Nicodemus. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, Bible award goes to you, Jen. <laughs> um yeah, Nicodemus. Yes, the the necessity to be born again. I mean, man, that takes on a whole different dimension when we look at it through this idea of the healing journey about mm-hmm. uh, exploring your family of origin and uh, by investigating this, by being able to name the places where we have been wounded um, it, uh, and invite God into them and experience His grace. That is the thing that enables us to be reborn, right? To then to integrate that little, that little child, wounded child um, into our present reality, right? Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, that is great. I really like that. Yeah. I want us to get, we've talked about some, you know, some heavy stuff uh, (laughs) thus far, and I want us to explore towards the end of our conversation here, more the idea of transformation Mm. and God's redemption. Um, You guys have just gave some beautiful powerful testaments to that or explorations of it. But before we do, I want to circle back to trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, we have throughout this conversation, we've all referred to little T trauma and to big T trauma. Um, and I think that trauma is, is such an important and vast and nuanced topic that we're probably going to do a special episode on trauma. Um, we might bring in a guest and Jen might be the kind of lead facilitator on that because mm. you've got a lot, um, you've got experience in that area <laughs> and you've, you've investigated it deeply. And so could you guys talk to me just briefly? Like we're not going to be able to cover 
all the nuances of it. But before we move on to um, how, what do we do having identified the, the, the pain in our stories, having named the false core beliefs, you know, um, how do we move into God's redemption and transformation? Before we get there, can we just talk about trauma really quick? Sure. Um, trauma is a popular word these days where it's used in a variety of ways. So you've probably heard a number of definitions of it. Um, so um, trauma, when we are saying big T trauma, quite often we are, that's the kind of trauma that's often event driven and something that was a significant thing that happened that um, altered the way you can function a little bit. Um, maybe you would be trying to say this in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay. The, the little T trauma is going to be usually that is it's chronic. It's a repeated pattern over time of smaller events that have activated your stress response. Um, your stress response in the previous episode on this, we talked about your cortisol kicking up, your panic, your fight or flight response. So if that response in you is con constantly activated in you, um, so you're like low grade living in stress, mm -hmm. that because of a repeated pattern of things happening in your environment, that's kind of what little t trauma can be like. Um, so sometimes that can be like growing up in poverty can cause little t trauma. Um, growing up with microaggressions around you, racism around you, um, being the smallest kid in the family of 10 and always mm -hmm. getting picked on, like mm -hmm. that kind of thing can lead to a chronic sense of little T trauma. A big T trauma can be violations happening to you. Like there's, you can name it, you know, the day it happened, mm -hmm. or maybe it was repeated big T traumas for a season. Um, but it can be a violation happening to you of somebody, um, abuse. It can be, um, big T trauma could even be environmental. Like you happen to be visiting, where was it? Sri Lanka when the tsunami hit, mm -hmm. like, or, you know, the war in Ukraine, right the, now. You, the mm -hmm. war in Re Ukraine right now, there's a lot of big T trauma happening yeah. for a lot of people right now. Mm -hmm. So it can be environmental, but it's usually an, like an episode. It's a, it's, um, mm -hmm. it's a moment now. Um, I think some of the hallmarks, when we think of trauma, trauma is, is something that tends to combine fear with the perceived or actual lack of control. And so, um, which then leaves you with these, um, so it's often a life-changing event for you because this perceived fear and lack of control, um, it often kicks up a lot of negative, powerful emotions and this feeling of helplessness. And that is a pretty strong imprint in mm -hmm. the brain. And so then um, there tends to be um, hard ways of coping with that afterwards. It can leave an imprint that your brain is trying to then process what mm -hmm. to do with that because it was such an impactful mark um, mm -hmm. on the brain. I think that's the quickest nutshell can give yeah. you without um, spinning people out too much. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> so, good. Yeah. Jeff, I remember early on in the COVID pandemic, uh, you identifying, hey, this is, we're all collectively going through trauma mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. together. Um, 
and I'm thinking now of the, you know, the war in Ukraine in particular, like war is something that inflicts a capital T trauma on generations, right? You think about uh, the aftermath of Vietnam, right? Or the aftermath of World War II, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens to a culture or society? How does it impact individuals when there's trauma on like big trauma on such a, a large scale? Can you speak to that a little bit, Jeff? Yeah, I, you know, I think just bringing it to our mo- that the present moment is uh, we are experiencing collective trauma, and a lot of the collective trauma is we're seeing uh, the aftermath of cultural crisis. Um, that it's beginning. We're seeing the escalation of, you know, even if we we have seen from slavery of our culture, you know, from civil war, is we're just seeing this aftermath, the repercussions of generations later are still dealing with the trauma. And I think we underestimate, we really do underestimate the power of war or the power of pandemics. Um, And the natural propensity, the natural tendency is when we encounter collective trauma is that we're going to, we're going to isolate the number one characteristics of collective trauma is isolation. Mm. And so we're going to isolate socially. We're going to fall, we're going to fall into certain, our tribalism and we're going to identify with people who share the same fears and the, and the beliefs that we have. But that's even, that's even manifested internally because what's going on externally is more of an expression of our own internal fragmentation of the polarization of our own internal fears um, of our own past traumas. And so I think I've discovered that how easy it is if we haven't dealt with our own personal traumas from the past of violations of love and trust, then we are going to, we will then gravitate to other people who are familiar with, with past traumas that we can identify. And we, we actually, we begin to um, identify and create communities birthed out of and living out of our traumas. Mm that only create more havoc and disruption and chaos. So what a, and I, that doesn't sound very pretty, does it? (laughs) But the reality is, is this is the beauty about as Christians, as believers of Christ, this is the time, this is a great moment for us to be the agent of healing and reconciliation, to bring hope and to bring light into these areas of darkness, to encourage people to face their past pain and believe that God's redemptive love, that he wants to bring us out of our past pain and to connect us with his grace and his mercy, and that to give meaning to our pain rather than dismissing our pain, Mm. rather than just ignoring or denying our pain, that God in his glory and his kingdom is that we can not only discover meaning and bring glory to the healing of our pain, but it's ironic that actually a lot of our calling and our purpose is birthed out of our pain, of Mm -hmm. our crisis. Mm -hmm. And I found this is true for my life. I never thought in a million years I'd be a marriage and family pastor. (laughs) (laughs) So I, where I, where I sit today is I realize it's been because of God's redemptive, profound, deep work of my own heart and soul that has given me a passion to to want to serve God, to bring healing and to be an ambassador of reconciliation to um, to our community, to uh, to our church. Mm-hmm. Pain often leads to purpose. That's right. Yeah. 
Because God is a good redeemer Mm -hmm. and he doesn't waste the pain. Doesn't waste the pain. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It brings to mind that uh, kind of iconic uh, word picture that Henry Nouwen coined of wounded healers, right? Mm -hmm. That's the calling, the calling of each of us. If we say yes to the healing journey, uh, if we choose to uh, be courageous in the exploration Mm -hmm. of our stories, um, if we choose to be precise in the naming of our wounds Mm -hmm. and embracing them, right? Turning that, our wounds, befriending them, you know, befriending our past pain. When we do that, uh, it's not that it, it makes it go away, mm-hmm. right? Like any, any massive wound, um, it will leave a scar. Um, there's, there's residual effects that we can't completely overcome, yeah. um, but we can figure out a, a healthy way to integrate it. And when we do that, we become these beautiful, this beautiful image yes. of the wounded healer, which of course for us Christians, I mean, Christ, the resurrected Christ still has the hands, the holes yeah. in the hands and, yeah. you know, um, you know, the, the pierced brow and the hole in his That's side. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and in that powerful, powerful image of him engaging with Thomas mm-hmm. unfairly named doubting Thomas, I think it was more like realist Thomas, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, put your, you know, put your hands in it. See that even Christ did not dismiss his wounds. He embraced them and used them as part of his new purpose and mission. Yeah. Mm. That's uh, I love your phrase. It's a key phrase when you said to befriend, to befriend our pain, as opposed to looking at our pain as an enemy. Mm, and yeah. that's really the work of the spirit is when we're able to reframe in, instead of running from our pain is God wants us to have the courage to walk into the pain because that's where the spirit of God brings grace and healing mm. when he meets us there. And this the the, the tension that we live in is understanding that, yeah, we live in a world of darkness and brokenness and trauma, mm-hmm. and, we'll, and we cannot escape that. Um, and it, it's not getting any better. Mm. But the other reality is that we live in the reality of the, resurrect, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection mm-hmm. of our Savior. And God's work of reconciliation is when He integrates the profound pain and the brokenness of a human soul, of a community, when we can bring the, the crucifixion of God's love and the, and the suffering and, the, and the, the price that he paid and understanding his great love through the death on his cross, the death of the cross, and then the hope of the resurrection of a new life, when we begin to, in that small group, in in a discipleship setting, when we're meeting, mentoring with one, when we can bring the reality of the death and the erection of Christ into that moment of pain, of trauma, of hopelessness, that's where the journey of healing and maturation takes place. Mm. And it's not a matter of like, I think there's a, sometimes we in the church look at the gospel as I was once here Mm. I was once lost, and now I'm saved. I was once uh, held in captivity, and now I'm set free. And I don't want to dismiss that, but I think the more profound work of God's Spirit 
is when we can sit with God in the in between. Mm-hmm. When we can sit, when we, we can sit in that place of our brokenness, of our pain. When we can embrace our body, when we are in still pain, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's dealing with past pain, is that God wants to meet us in that moment when we are experiencing pain. That's where the gospel comes alive. And that's when we can embrace our humanity instead of being enemies of our humanity, instead of, instead of turning away from our bodies and hating our bodies, that we can embrace our humanity because of the work of Christ, and we can actually befriend our broken bodies mm. with the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thought I have while we are talking about this very concept of looking at our past, looking at the family of origin, looking at what's happened, what's come before. Um, sometimes it can leave us, um, part of the coping from that might be, I don't trust the world around me and I don't trust others. So I'm going to do things, just me and Jesus. I believe mm-hmm. Jesus will help me. So it's me and Jesus and mm-hmm. I don't need anybody else. But the reality is, is that I think God, um, redeems our environments and he redeems community and he redeems our relationships with other people the same as he redeems our own personal mm. um, wounds. And I think that's why he calls us to community. He, we don't look backwards to say, wow, we give up on community and we give up on others. I think mm-hmm. it's a motivation to be part of his redemption going forward of how community can be healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Community Maybe we weren't loved well by others in the past. Well, now part of knowing Christ and knowing his redemption is that we get to love others really well going forward. And maybe we mm-hmm. get to help help instill in them true identity and, and true yeah. trustworthiness. We get to be a part of God's redemptive mm-hmm. plan going forward um, in community and how we love other people. And so I, I love, um, this isn't an invitation to um, give up on the environment and on others. It's an invitation into mm. being part of his redemption of loving others really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you said that Jen, bringing in the communal aspect, because one of the great temptations, you know, we say at the outset of skills that this, this is not a narcissistic journey that we're asking you to embark upon. It's one of self-discovery, self-improvement, right? But it's purposeful um, because it is ultimately not just for you. God wants to use your pain and your unique story to be the catalytic healing agent, mm-hmm. to be his hands and feet in yes. this world, in your family, in your community. Yes. Like I need yes. you yes. I, and I need you to befriend your pain because I need help befriending mine Yeah. because I need compassion and grace also. Right. Um, and I think, of the end of Genesis, the story of Joseph is an incredible biblical example of this idea of family of origin. So maybe yeah. go back and encourage you to go back and explore the story of Joseph through this lens of family of origin and childhood wounds. And man, jo- Joseph had some, right? Wow. But yeah. the, the climax of that, you know, you see his brothers coming to him in Egypt. He's now wildly successful. He's in power, you know, uh, they're coming from a land of famine and they're, he, they're at his mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they throw themselves at his feet and he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's right. And mm, that's, yes. that's it's our powerful. belief too, right? There's yeah. um, the, 
Mm. Your pain has a purpose, right? Don't waste the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can be, if you say yes to this healing journey, if you invite the Holy Spirit to expose um, the wounds of your childhood, to expose the generational sins that have harmed or enslaved your family for years, you can be that agent of change, right? Yeah. It can mm-hmm. it can end with you. Yeah. Which is Amen. a miraculous, wonderful thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and should give hope to all of us. Yeah. I think one, one last thought too, Jen, you were saying the importance, you know, the importance of community, the healing journey. Sure. It is intimately personal, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and it's unique to each individual. Your story is unique. Your pain is unique. Yeah. And part of what we want to do in exploring that is actually honoring that individuality mm-hmm. and that uniqueness, right? That's right. Because when it's healed, it helps make you uh, the beautiful, unique person that you are. But that you can only go so far on the healing journey alone. Mm. You can only yeah. go so far That's in right. the healing journey in isolation. Mm-hmm. The reason why we stress skills groups, the reason why we all here believe in the power, the purpose, and the mission of the local church is because it is in the context of community that we are healed. It's in yeah. the context of one another that, you know, as I said, Christ is where two or more are gathered together. Christ yeah. is there, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, if you're not plugged into a community, please hear in this an invitation. It doesn't have to be a skills class. Um, it doesn't have to be a church if if that's not where you're at on your own spiritual journey. But just do hear that. Uh, we don't want you to be doing this alone. You can't do it alone. You are not alone. That's one of the biggest lies that the enemy Mm -hmm. uses is in our pain. Like you said, is to isolate us and to get us to believe, to internalize this false core belief that I am alone. I have to do this by myself and there's no way I can overcome my -hmm. past pains. Yeah. 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 So open up, bring it to light, share with others, let them come alongside you um, and, and we are lifting it up to God to be our great redeemer. We know Amen. he is and he's yeah. going to do it. And the, I just love what you said, Joseph, because to understand our identity and as Jen, you said, we have to connect it with the overall body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So our identity just isn't a singular individualistic issue. It's yes, God sees us individually as his beloved. Each one of us, when we're to know in that special place of sacred relationship with God that we are his beloved ones. But there comes a point in the maturation process that not only his beloved ones, but as we grow up in, in, the, in the process of understanding our story and God begins to heal us and transform us, is we, we go from a place of not just internalizing our belovedness, but we can then externalize in the community as being spiritual mothers and fathers, mm. that we can now be, we can be those who can pass on, be ambassadors of reconciliation to the community. And that's what the body of Christ is, and that we can begin to reparent, reparent people who have not come from fam, where their family of origin, they've experienced a lot of pain. So that's the beauty of this, of the the process of transformation from understanding our identity as his beloved ones, but in the in the context of the community, God's community, is we're to grow up and be spiritual mothers and fathers. What a profound calling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, friends, uh, 
We've covered a lot of ground, and if you've stuck with us thus far, well, uh, you get a gold star. <laughs> um, next week, we're going to continue on exploring uh, some of the fruits of broken and painful family systems, and that is in the development of coping mechanisms and some of the destruction and the disconnection that those cause and how we can identify our coping mechanisms. And uh, I think it's going to be a rich time. I'm looking forward to it with you guys. So thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Great Joseph. hanging out with Thanks, you. Jeff. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by Joseph Carlson and edited by Nate King. Original music by the one and only Brian McMaster. <laughs>